When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of AMA Live. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm going to be answering your questions, which, by the way, if you have any questions, you can send them to connect at impacttheory.com. If you want to remain anonymous, just say you want to remain anonymous. Otherwise, we'll read your name out out of appreciation for you sending them in. And kicking us off today is Kibetso question. I tend to not follow through on lucrative opportunities I identify. I think it's because subconsciously I don't believe I'm worthy of the outcome success. Therefore, I sabotage myself and bask in the fake glory of how great it would be achieving this, but don't actually put in the massive action necessary to see it through. I'm currently reading The New Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz and also doing the meditations based on Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, You Are the Placebo, which I have also read and watched his interview on yours and Ed's podcast specifically to work on my self-image. I believe I'm on the right track. However, given your in-depth knowledge, having walked this road, I'd like to get your input. Is there anything you feel I should add, change, remove, do harder? So here's my advice when it comes to self-sabotage, when it comes to self-doubt, anything along those lines where you're really holding back from going all in. And I think the only thing that holds people back from going all in And I'm not even sure that I buy the self-worth thing. I mean, maybe, but I think it all at the end of the day comes down to you're afraid something is going to happen. So even if I really crawl inside the bag of unworthy, there's something there where you feel like um, it's not going to happen for me and therefore uh, I'm going to look stupid. It... um, I think all boils down to that, though. I think it all boils down to you're worried about disappointing yourself, embarrassing yourself, letting yourself down, um, climbing some way up the ladder of success only to slide back down. Um, And I think that the only way through that is to not believe an ounce of that bullshit. And I can't tell you like how often I check my own mind, how often I don't believe what my mind is telling me, how often I have to remind myself that this too shall pass, whatever amount of self-doubt or anxiety or whatever it is that I'm experiencing, I remind myself dozens of times a day, okay, that's maybe an exaggeration, but a lot, that I know that that feeling is going to pass, that what I know is that I can learn this, I can figure it out. So the thing that has always been my anchor is, sure, negative thought, maybe I'm not good enough today. Maybe I'm not worthy today. Maybe I'm not a thousand things that I need to be today. But I so believe that humans can learn that I'm going to march forward down this path. Now, I'm going to march forward down the path for two reasons. Reason number one, what I just said, I believe that I can learn. Reason number two, I believe that learning happens 
from marching down the path. That the very way that you get better at something is by doing it. You don't get better by thinking about shit. And I think that's where people get in this endless cycle. It goes something like this. I really feel like I should understand this better. I don't know enough. And the learning feels so good and it's so safe that I'm going to stay in learning mode. And so I'm not going to face the realities of either the lack of self-worth or the lack of belief in myself or the terrifying fear that I'm going to fuck this all up, embarrass myself, not live up to what I thought I could be. And because secretly some part of myself thinks that a growth mindset is bullshit, I am worried that that means that that is a permanent sentence, that if I'm not good at this now, I will never be good at this. And thusly, I am not a good person. And I think that people stay there and they want to learn because they want to be in that mode and not face all of that stuff. Instead of going, hey, I know that the very nature of being a human is that I'm going to have this self-doubt. I'm going to think that this is never going to happen for me, that I'm never going to be able to pull this off. I think that shit all the time, but I don't act in accordance with it because I know that it is just as fake to believe that I can't do something as to believe that I can't fail. But believing that I can't fail leads me to take action. So I do the path. However delusional both paths are, one of those paths has good outcome, which means if I march forward as if I can learn anything and I start going down that path, even if I can't learn anything, I can learn a lot. We all know that. We all agree with that. Everybody knows you can learn something. So we only argue potentially about the threshold of how much you can learn. So I start marching down the path and every time my brain coughs up some idiotic self-doubt, whatever, I just keep moving because in that movement, in doing, in falling down, embarrassing myself, um, doing something and realizing, God, I really suck at this, that I don't stay there and I just remind myself this is part of the process and that you are going to get better. And if you look back on your progress over a day or a week or a month, it's all going to look like shit. But if you look back on your progress a year, three years, five years, it looks extraordinary. And I've seen that play out so many times that I just keep marching. So what do you need to do? You need to remind yourself that your mind will never, no matter how much you accomplish, it will cough up these idiotic things. Because if you're anything like me, once you get great at one thing, you're moving on to the next because you want your skill set to stack. You don't just want to get good at one thing and then that's as far as your life is going to take you. You now go, whoa, I know how to do all this stuff. I want to go do something else. And now you're back in incompetence mode and you've got to be able to deal with your mind coughing up. You're never going to do this. It's never going to work. And remember, this is the process of learning. All right. Question number two, Sean Stein. Hi, Tom. I started my business seven years ago, employing five staff members, and we now have 60 on staff. Very impressive. The journey has been extremely tough, often taking financial knocks along the way due to non-payments or main contractors going into uh, liquidation. The business has grown year over year. However, with the growth, I find myself taking less of a salary and seldom take any sort of bonus. I always make sure my employees are paid first and make sure they get bonus while I will literally cash in on scrap metal to take a salary. I love creating new products, often questioning myself why I'm doing this if I take all the risk with very little return. Is this all part of the journey or do I just push through? All right, man. So here's a moment where we're just going to talk some real fucking business. So first of all, I commend you and always looking out for your employees first. I think that is 
going to serve you well and always aligning um, with doing the right thing by people, by making sure that they're taken care of. I think that that is really, really extraordinary. And I do not want that to get lost in what I'm about to say, because being the kind of person that you're proud of is the only thing that's going to serve you long term. So keep doing that shit. Now, having said that, I think that you have some business practices that don't make any fucking sense and you need to immediately stop doing them. So if you're paying your employees a bonus before you're even paying yourself a reasonable salary, that's bananas. So you need to be honest and transparent with your um the people working at your company to give you an idea here at Impact Theory, everybody knows exactly the number that we're spending. They know exactly what we need to do in order to become profitable. And if we are profitable, then they can share in that win. And if we're not profitable, they don't share in that win. Um, they know that Lisa and I right now are not taking salaries, but they also know that Lisa and I will be taking a salary. So at some point, we are definitely going to draw a salary because putting yourself in a situation where you're, um, you know, turning in the scrap metal to pay yourself a salary only makes sense under exactly one condition. And that one condition would be that you plan to sell the company, in which case, hey, fine, fair enough. Your employees get paid now, they get paid up front, but they're not going to participate. Probably, I'm guessing, judging by um, that description, that they wouldn't be participating in the equity sale of your company. And so because that equity sale could be worth, you know, 10 years worth of a salary, then, okay, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to say, I'm going to forego two or three years worth of salary and I'm going to, you know, take my 10 X, um, on the back end, or maybe you get 20 or 30 or 50 X your salary. Um, you know, I don't know what your, um, your industry is, but if you get, um, a multiple on your EBITDA, uh, so, you know, in the food industry, for instance, Multiples on EBITDA can be pretty crazy. Like we got a crazy multiple request. And so it is um, all industry dependent, but there it's like, you know, we we were taking good salaries. I don't even want to fucking pretend on that, but we could have taken a lot more, that's for sure. But we didn't, we knew that one day that we would be um, taking some of the equity out. And so that was just a, an infinitely bigger payout. And by not taking crazy egregious salaries, um, it certainly signaled to investors, if nobody else, that um, you know we were very willing to put our money at risk to, you know, roll with the company that we believed in it, um, that we saw a long-term vision. So that is, you just have to be very clear about what your strategy is, whether you're trying to exit the company or whether you want it to be your forever company. If you want it to be your forever company, then you need to start drawing a salary. You need to, um, recognize that, you're every day, you're putting everything at risk for that company and you're not being unreasonable in any way, shape or form to take a salary. So, um, yeah, I, I love, love, love that if you're going to have anyone tighten their belt, that it's going to be you before you ask your staff to do that. Um, but man, you need to make sure that this makes sense for you and that you're able to save and take care of you and your family and all that. Um, so yeah, I, I would just be open and honest with them. And when times are good and, um, letting them enjoy in the good times is amazing. But when times are lean, man, then they have to understand that you're not going to be bonusing people. Um, and that you've got to get paid as well. Yeah. I think that's ultra, ultra reasonable. 
So that is my advice. Um, put a system together that is sustainable. Sustainability, being able to do this forever. Uh, and this is something that I think a lot about with impact theory is like, look, we got to fucking make money. Um, there's just no two ways about it. And, you know, Lisa and I are willing to put a lot of money at risk to get us to profitability. Um, but we think about that shit. And that's the only way that it's going to be sustainable. That's just the God's honest truth. So, yep, find your way to sustainability, my friend. All right, Justin Morin. If 25-year-old Tom was in 2018, would you spend your time learning from books on Audible, like your top 25 list, or spend that time consuming content like Impact Theory and other successful entrepreneurs like Gary Vee, et cetera? Uh, if both, which do you think would be of more value and why? So I can answer this because I, I'm a learning machine and I learn more now than I did at 25 by a factor of probably five. So as voracious as I you know, thought of myself as reading back then, um, it's nothing compared to the amount of time that I put into it now. So um, I split my time between books and podcasts and everything is dependent on who the podcaster is and what the book is. So I would say that I probably lean, um, I'll call it 60 to 65% books and then the rest podcasts. Um, and the sometimes that number will get skewed if I have a lot of research to do um, just because for the shows, the vast majority of my research is going to be um, the audio, the interviews, the video. Sorry, it's actually more, I, I do far more YouTube videos than I do podcasts. Um, but that's where I'm going to spend the majority of my time because I want to hear them in their own words um, where it's not quite as polished, where they might let something interesting slip, you know, about something from 10 years ago or a thought that they had or whatever. Um, all of those things help me give an interview that's very unique and I'm not going to find that information oftentimes in the book, um, though I do read the book, but um, I don't, like, I actually read the books quite differently if I'm researching somebody than if I'm just reading, reading the book. Um, so, yeah, I, I find that it's it's much juicier to start with the interviews and stuff first. So um, so that'll sometimes skew my numbers. But I think that the um, typically the density of information, the rate at which you get insights to the material is far faster in a book. And a book is is really like everything that person is trying to convey to you distilled down to its most pure essence. So yeah, that's where I spend about, we'll call it 65% of my time. Again, it's all audible. It's all 3X. Um, occasionally, I'll be able to bump it up to 3.5 if it's a topic that I'm relatively familiar with. Um, but I'd be lying if I said that I live at 3.5. Um, but right now, I'll say 40 to 50% of my time at 3.5. But again, it depends on the um, narrator. All right. Hope that answers the question. All right. Akash Goyle. Hi, Tom. It was truly inspirational to listen to you at Titan Summit. Oh, that's awesome. I really enjoyed myself there. Um, I would like to express my gratitude for sharing your insights and experiences with us. I have a question on family-run businesses. We have a family business of real estate development in India. How does one make real impact in family-run businesses where there is not one decision maker and the older generation does not vibe with our ideas? There are situations where you feel you strongly need to change something, but you don't get the support of elders. How do uh, how do you reach out to them and bridge the gap? Wow, man, this is a complicated question, and um, uh, uh, there's not going to be an easy answer. So let me tell you what I would do, though I don't know that this is going to work, because I think the elders are going to think, we got us this far, you know, they had to usurp the generation before them. And so I'm sure there's a level of confidence that they believe their ideas are right, um, that they're doing all the right things. And I find that 
power is rarely transferred gracefully. And oftentimes mentors are not comfortable being surpassed by their mentees. So this is, oh man, it, it's just really, really hard. So knowing all of that, knowing that the deck is stacked against me, the first thing that I would be doing is really just trying to perform. So I would carve out a piece of the business. And so I would be, and obviously with their blessing, but I would ask for something that um, maybe they don't see, they don't think is you know going to pay off or whatever. And if I really believe in it, I would find some way to better myself in that. And I would do some something like, hey, I'll take less salary or whatever uh, for increased control or increased budget over on an area that I really believe in. And if you're right, and that's the thing, you should only want to win if you're right. You should only want to be the leader if you're the right person to lead. And that can be very hard for people to swallow. But one of the ways to find out if your ideas actually work is to be able to put them into practice and see if you get slapped around by the market and then learn the things you need to learn from the market. So when you can do that cheaply, oftentimes people will take a risk. So I think a lot of times a big part of the problem is the battle is going to be over. Look, there's a lot of revenue. It's supporting the family. This is a legacy thing. You're coming in. You want to shake things up. Rightly so. This is how you avoid a business calcifying and becoming irrelevant. But at the same time, it's really fucking risky. And there's a reason that so few companies make that generational um, leap. So, but carve out a piece for yourself, um, do it with reduced budget, leverage your salary, do whatever, but take that and get fucking wins. And if you're getting the wins, man, and they don't recognize it and they refuse to look at it, then you have a problem with the elders and the elders are not interested in what is actually working. They're closed-minded, they're fixed-minded, they're, um, you know, they're scared of being surpassed. And that, that is all signals to me you need to get the fuck out, regardless of it being a family business. Um, at some point, that that would just be a nightmare. I cannot fathom um, giving my life over to just waiting for somebody else to die. That just sounds like an absolutely horrific way to go about life. Um, and if you really are as good at business as you think you are, then you can go build something else. Um, I get not wanting to piss off the family. I totally understand that. I just really believe when people are that level of dysfunctional, being in a toxic relationship is a very bad idea. Now, alternatively, if your ideas aren't working, then it's probably good that you have that playground to go and try and experiment, but you should really be thinking about learning and getting better and getting to the point, being um, willing to do the work and get the results and do the learning um, until you're the right person to lead. And then at that point, it should become self-evident. You want to get to the point where it is obvious through your performance that you want to that other people should be listening to you, that you really have something to offer. And then if you're respectful and you're you know, doing all the things, like one of the, the most strange things about being a truly phenomenal leader is you've got to fight your ass off to get power and control. And then when you get it, you've got to give it away because that's the only way to the next generation to show them this is a meritocracy. The right idea needs to win. You need to let people know that you want to be challenged, that you're open to that, and that you only want your idea to move forward when it's the right idea. It's really interesting. I did not expect me to, like, I could really go on about this. This is really, really fascinating to me. Um, I've lived a lot of this in a different context because I'm, I have not worked in a family business. Um, but it's very, very interesting transfers of power coming up um, as a as somebody who was being mentored, you know, and, and coming into my own and the difficulties there and then mentoring other people and, um, you know, starting impact theory just with a whole new philosophy of, 
you know, Ray Dalio's principles and wanting to be challenged and wanting people to not defer to me just because I'm the CEO and that I, I don't want people to bow to my ideas just because they're my ideas. Um, I want them to be debated. Now, when I say that we're, you know, if we haven't come to a consensus or I want to override people, then I will do that. And I will expect people to agree or excuse me, disagree, but commit, um, and to earn their stripes that way. But it's really fucking rare that I would do that to override the wisdom of the crowd. You know, you want to bring people onto your team that you trust and believe in and think are extraordinary. All right. I'm going to stop myself there because I just want to keep talking on that one. Uh, and I don't think it's universal enough, but hopefully that was useful. All right, Amanda, I started a company almost two years ago now and started with just $5,000 of my own money, no investors. As time went on, I got a lot of personal debt that was used to grow my business, that was used to grow my business and pay for my living expenses. Currently, I live with my parents. I'm now almost $100,000 in personal debt. Because my company is brand new, no bank would offer me a business loan or business credit, which is the reason why I use my personal credit cards. This credit card interest is killing me, and there are some months that I'm not able, that I am not even able to pay my minimums on all my credit cards. I'm thinking about filing for personal bankruptcy. I'm not sure if I should file for personal bankruptcy since I'm planning to move from Canada to the US. What would you do in my situation? File for bankruptcy or just slowly try to pay off this personal debt? All right. I don't know enough about the bankruptcy laws in Canada, nor your personal situation to give you any real advice, but I'm going to give you the logic you're going to need to think through in order to come to that decision with your hopefully superior knowledge. Um, of the Canadian system. So here in the US, um, a lot of things don't clear um, when you file a bankruptcy. And so it can be just this bloodbath on your credit um, and you not get a lot of outcome on the other end. Also, $100,000, while difficult, I don't consider to be an insurmountable amount of money. Um, And being the type of person that, you know, makes good on your debts, I think it's just a good place to be. It's the, you know, should definitely be what you're steering towards. Now, if there's something that I don't understand and that the $100,000 is something you could never get out from under um, and you're not necessarily ever interested in starting another business and so, you know, you're happy to just sort of wrap that phase of your life by declaring bankruptcy and moving on um, and, you know, going in and working. And I don't say this with any derision whatsoever, but going and working, you know, a nine to five with somebody else and, and finding a way to tap into your passions and be an extraordinary teammate and really give of yourself and, and work for a company, obviously, that's doing something that you believe in and that allows you to really um feel amazing and contribute to a mission that you believe in. So, uh, you know, just like when you think about impact theory, um, you know, it, not everybody can be the owner and, um, that's actually not true since everybody has ownership, but not everybody can be the CEO. So it's, you know, at some point, not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur and work for themselves. And, and I think that's pretty irrelevant. I think that, feeling fulfilled and like you're really contributing is what matters. Okay. So you need to be thinking about that. So what way do you plan? If you plan to go start another company, then woof, filing for bankruptcy is going to be really, really difficult. And your next business would have to be so cash rich right from the jump um, where you didn't need any um, capital outlay whatsoever. Um, So all of that stuff is really important. And um, Dave Meltzer is probably somebody to listen to. He went through this, went through um, just his business imploded, lost everything and had to rebuild from scratch. I'm sure he has some tremendous advice on this. But if I saw a path to paying it, I would because that's the kind of person that I want 
want to be. Um, if the debt were insurmountable, though, don't think I'm saying uh, this is not some moral superiority contest. If I didn't feel I could get out from under it, I would absolutely declare bankruptcy. Um, but it would make me feel feel very good about myself if I could um, buckle down and whether that's you know just do things that are more cash flow efficient. Um, and so I'm you know making more money in the um, the the company there, and then you can start chipping away at the debt. Then great, um, but you'd want to be able to do that without continuing to bring on new debt, um, as that would be very very um, terrifying. It's just going to make the problem worse and worse and worse. So you don't want to do the sunk cost fallacy where it's like, well, I'm already a hundred thousand dollars in. I need to keep going to get myself out, and then you find yourself you know two hundred thousand dollars in, and then it really seems dire, and you got to keep going. So you know don't buy into that. So um, you know, just because you're a hundred in doesn't mean you want to keep chasing good money after bad. So, um, you know, be, be very thoughtful about that. So, um, very succinctly, I would try to, um, overcome the debt if I could, if I couldn't, I would declare bankruptcy for sure. Um, but I would understand that declaring bankruptcy will be absolutely brutal if you're going to try to start another entrepreneurial endeavor. In fact, I think if you do that, the only real entrepreneurial endeavor that you'd be able to pull off is as an affiliate marketer or drop shipper or something like that, where you don't have to hold inventory, uh, God, that's about the only way I could think of doing it. Um, so yeah. All right. With that, again, that's a logic to use. I've not been through this. There are probably far better people um, to really give you detailed instruction. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you, back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Um, this one comes from Anonymous. I'm married with three kids. My younger two teens have at times crippling anxiety. I'm so proud of what they often fight through just to get by, let alone survive. But so much of life 
that I want them to enjoy an experience at this stage is avoided because of the anxiety. Meanwhile, my wife, who's a great mom, suffers from depression and refuses to get it treated for one reason or another, stigma, fear of therapy or medication, etc. I don't know how to help them. I focus on my inner self nutrition and fitness to stay strong, to give them that role model or rock figure or whatever they may need. I try and ask what I can do for them, but sometimes that feels like it's met with anger. I keep, I try and keep calm so that my facial expressions or body language don't cycle between frustration frustration, worry, pitter, or wanting to scream tough in the fuck up buttercup. Any suggestions um, for this guy and fam? Yeah. So here's the reality. You need to treat this like a biological problem. So this is not about their mentality. It unfortunately right now telling them to toughen the fuck up while that is often the fucking answer. And that may very well be a part of the long-term strategy. Um, that's going to be step seven or eight and steps one through six are going to be all about physical exercise and diet. And I just cannot tell you enough. In fact, God, I'm so curious to know um, if either your kids were um, C-section, if you um, had any significant antibiotic use or anything like that, um, or if either you or your wife, probably more troubling if it's your wife, um, have had microbiome issues, especially before having the kids, um, if there's any obesity or anything like that, um, just this stuff has a a real like... um, gut problem cause almost certainly. And so really addressing that issue, starting to exercise, starting to eat just amazingly well. The amount that that could turn things around, you may be shocked. And so I would very much start there. Now, getting people to make those changes, holy hell, that is incredibly difficult. Now, the only person you need to actually convince is your wife. Because if you and your wife say, this is what we eat in this fucking house, then that's what you eat in the house, period, end of story. Um, And your kids are going to fall in line because that's what you're doing. Now, on the DL, I think you really understand that part of what you have to do is get your kids excited about this. Um, now, I don't know if you know who Ben Greenfield is. I just had him on Health Theory, and he said some things, man, about raising kids. I was literally flabbergasted, but it's kind of fucking interesting. And so I would really look at um, Ben. He has a philosophy. There are no rules in his house. Again, I'm not vouching for this. I do not have kids. This sounded crazy to me, but it's really interesting. So I would, um, I would at least look, but it goes like this. There are no rules in this house. So if, and, but this is a guy who understands biology in an extreme way and for years has been living it and explaining it to his kids. So that, that has a huge effect. So he says, if, if I'm drinking um, a glass of scotch and my kids come up and they're curious about it, he said, yeah, of course I would let them have a drink. Um, but he said, and they're nine and 10 or nine or 10, I think 10 now. Um, and he said, but I've explained to them what it does to their liver and, you know, that there are consequences to drinking it, health consequences and all that. And because they see that he hardly ever drinks and that he lives just an extraordinarily healthy lifestyle um, and that, you know, there's a bit of hero worship um, to him with his kids. That's me saying that he did not say that, uh, but that's my gut instinct that you get all of that where they want to one understand because I think that their dad makes it pretty exciting. The things that he talks about and the way that he talks about them. Um, and, and he lives it so much. And so for them to be a part of that and, um, you know, then it's like, well, we want to do what dad does and think the way that dad thinks. And, and so that's been very effective for them. And it'll be very interesting to see, um, you know, if that continues to play well into the, the teenage years when they tend to get a little rebellious, but, um, it's, it's utterly fascinating. And he plans to do a coming of age 
stage ritual at age 13. Um, so he's like training them and survival skills and stuff. It's really fucking interesting. So anyway, there's probably ways for you to, from diet and exercise, from getting them excited about this stuff by you doing it um, and making it fun for them and engaging with them and um, drawing them deeper into that world in a way that they find enticing um, could really, really be beneficial. And then if there are um, relationship wounds in there that you need to heal, if they feel any sense of judgment um, you know, from you, which trust me, just because you don't mean to doesn't mean they're not feeling it. Um, so processing through that, seeing where they're at, um, you know, could, could be beneficial. And I don't remember if you said how old they are. They're teens, younger teens. Um, so they're almost certainly and then really rebellious. And all of that advice is going to be a hell of a lot harder because of their age. Um, but yeah, start with exercise, diet. And to do that, start with mom. Mom has to be on board with that. And the only way that you're going to do that is um, just talking to her about the realities, the drivers behind depression, the drivers behind anxiety, diet and exercise being the two biggest. Um, and she won't have to go for therapy for those first steps. And then hopefully as she starts to feel better, then you can get her into therapy. Um, and I think that a big thing here is going to be we never have leverage in a relationship unless we're able to make that person feel better about themselves when they're around us when they're not and that they know that we love them exactly where they are. But that that doesn't mean that we don't strive to be something more. And if she sees you striving like that, loving yourself, but still pushing yourself to be something better, if she feels completely loved by you, feels like you're number one, they you lift her up and make her feel better about herself, she's going to become far more receptive um, to anything. And obviously diet and exercise can be very, very touchy subjects. Um, so, you know, I get how careful you're going to have to be. Um, but that is the approach I would take. All right. Next up, Jared Emma Heiser. Oh, wow. He gave me the pronunciation. Pronounced Emma Heiser. There it is. Jared Emma Heiser. Word. I love that. All right. I'm a developing entrepreneur using online affiliate marketing. Currently, I'm struggling with having spouts of laziness working as my own boss. I've been following your studio's content for quite some time and intrigued with intrigued with integrating your Monday through Friday working or working out mindset. My current lifestyle working from home enables me to do whatever, whenever, both a blessing and a curse. Would you please provide me with any tips which helped you shift your mindset while steadily implementing this practice? Do you have any recommendations towards keeping the working or working out mindset while on a recession from work-related activities? I think you mean recess? Um, so... Here's here is the reality with the Monday through Friday mother working or working out. That is purely identity. So if you don't long to be that person, if you don't get excited to be able to say Monday through Friday I'm either working or working out, and that doesn't make you feel like a fucking stud, then don't bother because there's no moral obligation to do that. So I do that because of how good it makes me feel. Like when I thought about who I wanted to be, I wanted to be the person that was doing something they believed in so much that they would want to work that much. And that's how I position my life. So there have definitely been times in my life where that was not the case because I wasn't working on something that I believed in that much. So it really came down to building that identity, investing in it, telling other people that's what I was about, patting myself on the back when I stayed true to it. Like it just, it feels so good. And if that's exciting to you and you're not doing it just as a way to bait yourself into trying to get work done, which by the way, will not work. Like it's, 
I can say that because I love saying, and it being true, of course, that Monday through Friday, mother working or working out because of how it makes me feel about myself when I'm by myself. So that's the thing. Or when my wife looks at me and is like, dude, it's crazy how hard you work. She always says for this family, she knows that's like a big thing for me. Like how hard you work for this family. Like it's so fucking extraordinary. And dude, hearing that for me, like there are few words more erotic for me than you work that hard for this family. Like I fucking go in on that. So because that like is my juice and I've spent years feeding into that, um, that it just amps me up. So it becomes very easy for me to do that. But again, it's all around because I believe in what I'm working on that much. And I love the ac- the actual activities, not all of them, but I love the majority of the things that I do. And so because I actually love the act of the things that I'm doing, and I believe in what we're trying to build towards and the impact that we're trying to have and all that, it becomes very easy. And because I have the identity and it feels so good and I want to impress my wife and all of that stuff um, to leverage my identity to say, I'm either working or working out. Now, if you don't have that, then you may want to do something that is more process-based. So for instance, you, this is, I'm stealing straight from Hal Elrod right now, who I just had on the show today. Um, super interesting dude, by the way, uh, been through a brutal life. It's pure insanity, uh, but has learned some pretty crazy lessons that I think we can all learn from. And here's one totally process driven. So Um, He knew when he was a sales guy, he knew that if I make X number of calls that over um, a month, that that's going to equate to this revenue. So he just had enough months behind him that he knew that it was all about the number of calls that he made. Now, it wasn't fun for him to make those calls and it was often getting kicked in the teeth and rejected and all that. So what he would do is say, okay, I'm going to make X number of calls and then I'm going to take a break. So let's say that that number is seven. I'm going to make seven calls and then I'm going to take a five minute break. I get to do whatever I want or a 10 minute break, whatever. And so he He would plan his day out like that. And he knew, cool, even if I'm getting rejected, it's fine because it's another one of my seven, another one of my seven to get to that thing that I want to do. And so he used, uh, you know, just a carrot and a stick. And so it was like he would reward himself when he did the things that he was supposed to do because he knew that it had a given outcome that he could predict. So you may want to use something process driven like that, where it's very binary. You know, you either did it or you didn't do it and that you're rewarding yourself all along the way rather than using a particular identity thing that is um, not unique to me, but is something that I've really built up. So you, you have to decide who's the person that I want to be. How would that person act? And then act like that person. And then make sure that you're rewarding yourself for acting like that person so you can feel amazing. That's the identity route. Otherwise, you need to figure out what's the process to get my desired outcome and then use the process to make sure that you're going down that path. So for instance, um, I don't know what it is. Legitimately, sometimes I think that I have some weird like deficiency in an ability to clean out whatever chemical it is that makes you sleep because motherfucker, when I wake up in the morning, it hurts. It is so weird. Uh, my wife was making fun of me the other day because she said, when you wake up, you have this like angry look on your face. And, and that's not even just my angry neutral face. I legit have an angry look because it hurts. I do not like waking up. So I had to put a rule in my life, a bright line where I get up in 10 minutes or less, just no ifs, ands, or buts. Once I realize that I'm awake, I have 10 minutes to get out of bed if I've had at least five hours sleep. And again, that's an identity thing. I just feel so good about being the person that I say that I am. Um, that's huge for me. And so I get this little burst of dopamine by getting out of bed. So I created this trick that got over my inherent laziness, my inherent desire to stay in bed. Um, any and all excuses I have, I just, boom, I want that dopamine hit of being the person that I say that I am. And so I get out of bed. 
and I won't say I never miss, but man, oh man, it's rare. In fact, I never intentionally miss. I, I literally can't think of a time I've intentionally missed. Now, this is on the weekends. I do not do this, but Monday through Friday, um, where I there are times where either I'll sort of half fall back asleep, and so then I miss it by a couple minutes, and then there are other times where um, I just misjudge how much of that tenth minute that I have left, uh, and it clicks over into the eleventh. Um, but that's super fucking rare. Uh, and on those days, I almost always confess it uh, to people so that I don't feel like I'm getting away with anything. All right. Those are my pieces of advice. All right. Last up. Alan Landine. As I've been devouring your content, I've come ac- across your explanation about passion being something you create over time, not as something that is discovered through an archaeological dig. I've also been extensively researching Simon Sinek's material about starting with why, and one point that I am trying to find clarification on is the concept of why and passion. Simon Sinek states that your why is developed at a young age, and you simply need to discover what that is, and then choose to live in accordance to that. Your content is very much in favor of we can become whoever we want to become. Is Simon Sinek's why the same concept as discovering your passion that you describe and he simply has a different belief and approaching and approach to finding it or am I misunderstanding and they are two separate concepts so I think they maybe are a little bit different but um, for now I'm going to treat them as the same because I think that um, for the uh, purposes of this um, discussion they're they're essentially the same so it goes like this um, there are two camps there are camps that say hey we're uh, a blank slate and you can become anything you want. And then there are camps that say, look, man, you come preloaded with a lot of shit. And there's just no getting around that lot of stuff. And then on top of that, you were so shaped by your early years that thinking that as an adult, you're somehow going to be able to get out of that uh, is basically not true. And so, so much of this stuff is, is formed there. Uh, I fall somewhere in the middle. I think that we can change so dramatically that it does not make any sense to focus on the things that we can't change, even though I do agree that they are there. There are things that are um, just unchangeable. Uh, so I, yeah, I wish I weren't so, but we all have predilections. We all have things that we um, get what I call early wins on. So everything that had to do with verbal anything, I just always got early wins. So it wasn't like I didn't have to learn. I put it in ex- an extraordinary amount of time to get better at being able to speak, being able to think on my feet. But when I put that energy in, I was like, whoa, I'm getting good at this. Unlike something like athletic stuff, God, it always just takes me an extraordinary amount of time to get better at things that are athletic. Um, So it's not that I can't, or take dancing, for instance. Good Lord. Um, I could certainly get better at dancing, but wowza. When you want to talk about something that... um, it takes me a very long time to grasp how to do that. I can, I can get better, but I don't get anything even remotely approaching an early win. So we all have that. So I think that that plays into some of this. Now, a why or a mission, I think that, or a passion, um, which by the way, I will separate a, a passion from a mission in one critical distinction, which is that your mission is almost certainly going to be tied to your passion. Uh, but take, for instance, that my my passion is storytelling, but my why is to give people an empowering mindset through storytelling. So they're definitely linked 
linked, but they are not um, one and the same. So for instance, right now, I'm not necessarily storytelling, but this still feeds my why to uh, do what I call direct-to-camera stuff where I'm just giving people just straight up, this is how you should think, this is what you should do, um, which is very different than like Neon Future where I'm wrapping all of this stuff in a story. So they they are they are different in that sense, but they're both feeding into the same thing. Now, I have changed wise in my lifetime. So for um, years, for almost a decade, while I was at Quest, I was absolutely committed and thought that Quest was going to be my forever company, and never thought that I would need another mission, and that was going to be to end metabolic disease. And I was deeply passionate about that because I decided to be, um, I had decided that, okay, I've got these two business partners. What is common area that we can all agree on for three very different reasons that ended up being health and nutrition. I really wanted to help my mom and my sister. So I was like, okay, like really sort of coldly looking at it. Not, not like, man, since I was a kid, I've wanted to help my mom and my sister. It wasn't like that. I've always had a predilection to want to help people. Um, so you could say, yep, look, see, that was the thing you've always had. You always like helping people. It's not even that. I would never have said growing up, oh, I like to help people. But I've always been wired. I love seeing other people win. So I just think that's rad. Not necessarily at my expense. I just enjoy seeing other people win. Not quite as much as I like winning myself. I don't want to BS. But like, I get a genuine thrill out of seeing somebody that I care about win at something that they care about. Um, so that that's always been just a part of my personality. So yes, I know that about myself. I feed into that about myself because I know that I'm going to get exaggerated wins from something that has to do with something along those lines, being able to help people win, uh, being able to help people. So that is, um, when I think about what we're doing at Quest, it was like, I didn't grow up thinking, oh, I want to do something for my mom and my sister. Um, it was just me realizing, okay, I'm in this situation. I have these two partners. They're both into health and fitness as well. I'm into that for my own reasons, but not certainly one of the, the top passions of my life, but being able to help my mom and my sister and the hundreds of millions, maybe a billion plus people that are struggling with food in the same way that they are. And my passion for community and connection and all that. Okay. Now we can bring this all together and I can make my mission to B to end metabolic disease. I'm simply going to decide that. I'm going to get behind it. I'm going to use all the mechanisms that I've talked about, about how to build a passion to also feed into that why, to make sure that I'm passionate about that why, to make sure I'm passionate about the things that I was going to have to do on a daily basis in order to make that come true. And so I began tapping into things like um, hiring ex-convicts because that really fed into something I'm deeply passionate about. So there were ways within the confines of that company to say, okay, if there's people, product and process, I'm going to be the people person. So I'm probably not the right person for product. I'm certainly not the right person for process. So that leaves people. So within the, the larger structure of the mission, I could find ways with things that I had not only just a, an innate desire for, but I had been crafting a passion around for a very long time. And then was also began using storytelling towards the end, um, doing a lot more content creation and all that stuff. So anyway, wow, that became a very long answer. Uh, but hopefully you get the idea. I don't think it is this just this binary thing, but to give you something to really hold on to, um, nothing Nothing is just born into you from a why perspective or a mission perspective. Nobody is born like Mother Teresa was not born like I'm going to take care of the sick, but it is very possible and the poor it is very possible that when she was young, something very indelible happened that matched up with her natural inclinations. And that becomes that passion. And so that happens so often because people don't know how to take control of the process. Um, and that those are things that you want to leverage anyway, your natural predilections and things like that. Um, 
And that's why I always tell people, everything starts with a genuine interest. If you don't have genuine interest, you're never going to be able to build passion around it. So, but once you're in alignment with something that's a genuine interest, then it is a process that you end up building the passion and then deciding what your why is your mission from that. And then um, finding ways within the structure of what you would have to do on a day-to-day basis to make that come true, making sure that whatever role you play in that, because almost certainly it's going to be a team effort, whatever role you play in that lines up with the things you're, you have built passion around for doing that happen to line up with the thing you have just genuine innate interest in. Okay. I hope that was all accurate, but not necessarily bumper stickery. So Um, I hope that helped. Um, And with that, I'm gonna have to bid you farewell. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Peace. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.